You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You can be seated. I can tell who didn't pay very close attention in their Spanish class when we start singing those Spanish words. I have some Spanish-speaking pastor friends that say, uh, you English speakers better learn to speak Spanish. That's all we're speaking in heaven. So we got a little practice here maybe today. And if you sing in choir, just know you can come and sing every single Sunday. We love singing that choir loft filled, the worship choir filled up there. In the book of Colossians, Paul makes it so clear that Jesus is not merely a character in God's story. Jesus is the story. He is before all things. He is above all things. He holds all things together. He is first in all things. And and so in light of the book of Colossians telling us who Christ is, we really have one simple but life-rattling question we need to answer today. Is Jesus merely important to you or is he your life? We're going to cover a good chunk of Colossians and it's a sort of a, a grand finale of Paul's great letter to the church there at Colossae. And what we see here is really twofold. First of all, it's some closing remarks. And then secondly, it's a reminder that the kingdom or the church is made up of people. It's all about people. First, let's hear some closing remarks. Your copy of God's word. Let's look at Colossians chapter four. We'll pick up where we dropped off last week, which is verse two of chapter four. Paul speaking to the church, the spirit speaking to Paul, the spirit speaking to us. Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. This is the, the, the closing remarks, if you will, as Paul is wrapping up, landing the plane of this letter. Continue, continue steadfastly in, in prayer, being watchful in it, being watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders and and make the most, the best of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let me say this about Paul. No one would hire him today to be a pastor. This guy could never become a pastor in the 21st century. Here's his resume. Paul, uh, what's your wife like? Well, I'm I'm single. Tell us about your, your kids. I don't have any. Do you have any experience with, with deacons? Yes, I murdered one. Okay, so what, 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 are you, what are you good at? Well, I'm good at making riots. In fact, I'm really good at making riots. And oftentimes, I, I, I go to jail. So if a pastor search committee is looking for a single childless man who starts riots and spends time in prison and murders deacons, they found their right guy. Which is kind of a practical word maybe for all of us as we start today. If God can use Paul, God can use anybody. The point of of, of Paul's life is that he now belongs to Jesus. And once you belong to Jesus, you have a brand new life. It goes to show that no matter who you are in this place today, no matter what you have done in this place today, where you've been or what you're in the middle of, if you're devoted to Jesus, your mess becomes his message. And God will redeem anything that you have gone through. Let me summarize these these five verses, just as Paul is trying to do here as he summarizes a a, a portion of this book. Let me give you five, uh, these five verses, let me give you four things in these five verses. It's kind of summarizing it all down. Last Sunday night, I um, was a part of my son's wedding. He got married last last Sunday, and there was a portion in the wedding where 
the moms had walked in, the, the grandmothers had walked in, and it was just Caleb, just my son and I standing at, at the back together. And he put his arm around me, put his arm around my waist and leaned into me. And with a lot of tears in his eyes, which produced a lot of tears in my eyes, he said, Dad, thank you for everything. It's a really tender moment. And I looked at him and I said, son, don't lock your knees and don't forget your passport for the honeymoon that's coming up, you know, (laughs) tomorrow. (laughs) 22 years of parenting, it all came down to that, right? Don't lock your knees and don't forget your passport. So let's see if Paul does a better job summarizing the important things that I did last Sunday night. Well, what he says for you in this passage is for you individually, but it's also collectively for us as, as a church. He says four things. One, be prayerful. We see that in verse two. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Paul is making the assumption, Christian, that you're already praying. Paul is going on the assumption that we're already, because we're Christ, we're already praying. So he says here, continue steadfastly in prayer. So let me just bottom line this for you. What is prayer? Prayer is talking to your dad. Capital D. It is coming to the presence of your heavenly father. The key to prayer is not focusing on prayer. The key to prayer is focusing on God as father. And sometimes in this life, all we have is prayer. But let me tell you this. If all you have is prayer, then you have everything that you need. As Christian sister, Christian brother, you have a dad. You have an Abba. You have a heavenly father that invites you in. He, he loves you. And this dad cares for you. This, this Abba desires to be there for you. And so Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer. It's another way of saying, keep talking to your dad. Because if all you have is prayer, you have all you need. Then Paul says specifically, verse 3 and 4, pray for us. There's a very specific way that Paul is now asking us to, to pray. It actually might sound a little self, self-serving coming from me today, but the scripture here is saying pray for your Christian leaders. Pray for your pastors. Pray for those who are over you spiritually. Pray for your ministers, your elders. In fact, look what it says here in, in verse, verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it the word of God clear, which is how I ought to to speak. And so Paul is telling the church there at Colossae, just like the Spirit of the Lord would tell the church at Highland today, pray for opportunities to be open, that your, your pastors, your leaders, your elders would step into those opportunities and would clearly share God's word, clearly share and articulate the gospel. Secondly, verse two, be watchful. Watchful is looking for opportunities. What he is saying here is as you pray, watch and see what God is doing. As you pray, look to see who God has put in front of you. Because as you pray, the assumption here is that if God is always at work, that as you pray, God's going to put someone in front of you that you can love, you can serve, you can care for, you can answer questions, which is kind of the context here of of the first five verses, first six verses of chapter four. So I I would say, let me just preach a sermon really shortly to, to the elementary school kids who are here today. So if you're starting elementary school this week, or maybe you did a few days ago, most of you starting this week, be watching is what scripture says. Be watching for a new kid that comes to school this year. Watch for them. That's someone that God is putting in front of you to to care for them, to know them, to learn their name, to share your name with them. Now, middle schoolers and high schoolers, I've been throwing college students in this as as well. If you're praying, if you're continuing prayer, and you're, you're praying steadfastly this year, and you're praying while you're watching, then watch and see God put someone in front of you, even these next few weeks, that is lonely, or hurting, or or, or grieving, or maybe making a huge weighty decision in in life. God is always 
at work. And so the call here is as we pray steadfastly, we should pray and we should watch because Highland always need to be watching. We all need to be watching for what God is doing and what God is going to do next. God is always at work. Never put a period where God puts a comma. God's always doing something. Here's the third thing. Be thankful. Verse two. Now where's Paul at this point of life? He's in prison. He's in jail. We see that at the very end of this chapter in, in, in verse 18 when he says, remember my chains, which means he's chained up. What's he doing? Now catch this. Here, understand the context here. Here's a man in prison. He is writing a letter to encourage others to teach them how to be thankful, right? That's different. When a guy who is chained up instructs you to be thankful, it should stir all of us to be thankful. Fourthly, he says, be relational. This is what verse five and verse six, every relationship really up to this point in the book of Colossians, every relationship directive up to this point in the book of Colossians is all about us, the church family, how we rightly relate to one another as sisters and brothers in Christ. But there's a change right here. Everything in Colossians is about how we, we rightly relate to one another within the family of God until you get to these two verses, verse five and verse six, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, those who are outside the faith, those who are outside the covenant community making the best use of the time. Let your speech with them always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So Paul is saying, when you talk to people outside of the faith, bring the love of God with you. Amen. Bring the kindness of God with you when you speak to those who are outsiders. Bring the hope of God with you. In fact, Paul even says here, let your speech be seasoned with salt. What does that mean? Be interesting. Be engaging with those who are not of the faith or who do not know Christ. The world is a lonely place. Lots of people use other people, but few people love people. And what Scripture is talking about here is loving people just as God has loved us. What Scripture is saying here is pursue people just as God has pursued us. Scripture is saying here that we should have an affection for other people just as God in Christ Jesus has an affection, a love relationship toward us. I mean, just consider your own spiritual heritage. Just consider for a minute your own spiritual testimony. More than likely, there's a large number of people in here today that you know Christ because someone took the time to share Jesus with you. They took the time to pull you aside and say, can I tell you about, about a Christ who, who loves me, a Christ who forgave me. I would imagine a lot of us here today, it was a mom or a dad or a grandparent, maybe it was a neighbor, a teacher, a Sunday school teacher, they kind of pulled us inside and said, can I, can I share with you about Christ. I was at a funeral yesterday in Atlanta, Georgia, outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Of a man who grew up uh, as a non-believer. And when he went off to college, he was a freshman at Virginia Tech. One of the guys in his class turned to him. Now just remember this scenario. Turned to him in class and said, do you know Jesus? And this guy's name was John. John turned back to the, the guy that was sharing the gospel and said, I, I know of him, but what do you mean do I, do I know him? And the gospel was shared. And this guy, John Deans, believed upon Christ and spent the entirety of his life sharing Jesus with others. The rest of his life, because of one conversation, his freshman year in college at Virginia Tech, do you know about Jesus? What do you mean, do I know about Jesus? Do I know Jesus? John came to, to walk with the Lord, shared the gospel with thousands and thousands of people, including his five kids. Uh, one of those kids, by the way, is Emily Kelly, our women's minister here at this church. Her father passed away suddenly last Sunday. 
And it was a reminder, sometimes all it takes is just that one invitation, that one conversation. A lot of you are here today at Highland because someone invited you at some point in the past, hey, do you want to come to church with me? And here you are. This is the message here about being relational with others. Only two things around you today truly last forever. The word of God and the souls of people. Invest in them. That's what Paul says here in verse 5. Walk wisely. Now here comes an interesting part of of the letter as we wrap up Colossians chapter 4. It's usually the the part of the letter that you skip. If you're reading the Read the Bible through a year, you're planning through a year, you usually skip this part because you're going to meet a lot of people here in the Colossae church. We don't know their names. I mean, we know the name. We don't know who they are or know very little about them. But here's the deal about wrapping up the book of Colossians. There are people in here just like you. They're loving, they're serving, they're caring, they're giving, they're contributing. And in this passage, Paul's going to honor them. At some point, they're in Colossae, a group of people that we know is about six years before the book of Colossians was written. A group of people got together and said, let's start a church. Well, let's give our time, let's give our money, let's give our prayer, let's get our hands dirty, and let's start a church right here. The same thing happened 99 years ago, right down the street about two blocks from 43 people said, let's start a church called Highland. And they gave and they, and they prayed, and, and here we are today. Let's start something where there's nothing. Let's see a church come into existence. Every church in our nation today, every church in the world today, at some point, a group of people somewhere in that history said, let's pioneer a church. And so Paul gives this list of people who pioneered this church in Colossae. And again, few people bothered to read this. But to Paul, these are indispensable folks. These are people who made ministry possible. He couldn't do it by himself. No one ever can. Church and ministry has always been about these people and about you. Colossians chapter four, let's pick it up here in verse seven. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my my fellow prisoner, he greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus who is called Justice. I probably know why he changed his name. Probably a lot of questions if your name was Jesus at that time. And Jesus, who changed his name to Justice. A lot of people bringing you fish and bread, probably. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers. These are the only Jewish people around me that are part of the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, he greets you. He's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, he greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers of Laodicea and to Nympha and, and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans. See also that you read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, Say to him, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And Highland, you're probably thinking right now, why did we just read this? You know why? Because this is you. It's a church that has people just like you. 
who have loved and, and cared and, and served and, and given. God values his people. God values his church. And in this, what's happening is Paul is setting up a culture of honor. And oh, that Highland would be a place of honor where we would honor one another. That we'd establish a culture of honor here. Let's just look at these people very quickly and kind of unpack them for you. Verse 7, verse 8, Tychicus. Uh, Paul says he's a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. That's a lot of nice things to say. And then he says, I have sent him to you for really two purposes, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. This is what I would say of Tychicus. He's an encouraging servant. What about you? You know, the friends or the family, the people that we love being around the most are encouragers. Have you noticed that? Like without thinking, just think about the three people you love to be around. I almost guarantee you they're encouraging people. And here's Tychicus. He's just an encouraging servant. Tychicus had a servant's heart. He must have been a great encourager because Paul's dual purpose, again, for sending him was, I want him to tell you how we're doing and also I want him to encourage your heart. By the way, if Tychicus didn't do his, his job, we wouldn't have this book. He is the one that faithfully delivered the book of Colossians to the city of Colossae that the believers in Colossae would read this. Onesimus, verse 9. Paul calls him our faithful and our beloved brother who is one of you, a part, part of that church, a part of that culture, a part of that city. They, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. The word I put down for Onesimus was faithful. You probably know Onesimus' story. We hear it in Acts and certainly the book of Philemon. Onesimus was a runaway slave who had taken money from, from his master. Then he heard the gospel and was saved and is now a minister, a faithful and steadfast Brother, by the way, Highland, the church should be filled with people like Onesimus, people who had a past that was filled with sin, but they're now filled with Jesus. It's a great testimony. Onesimus is now so faithful. He's filled with Christ. He's faithful to Christ. He's faithful to the gospel. And there's a church historian by the name of Ignatius that said Onesimus became a pastor there in Colossae. He was faithful to the church. In verse 10, we see um, Aristarchus. Aristarchus is mentioned in Acts. He's been a faithful partner to, to Paul. In fact, Paul calls him here my faithful prisoner. In other words, he's in jail with Paul. You know a guy's a friend if he goes to jail with you. Here's our wrote down. One who stands beside. That's what Aristarchus is. Aristarchus is. He's one who stood beside Paul. As you read the New Testament, you see Aristarchus traveling with Paul. Uh, true or false, traveling with Paul is not a vacation, right? It, it, it's not. Paul is shipwrecked. He's, he's beaten. He's stoned. Not, not that kind, the throwing rock kind. They leave him for dead. He's adrift on the open sea. He's flogged. He starts all these riots. He's beaten. He runs for his life. He serves multiple prison sentences. And Aristarchus looks at him and says, you and me, buddy, we're rolling together. I'm hanging with you. When Paul is struggling, Aristarchus stands right beside him. If you have one person in your life like that, you're blessed. And here Paul says, I've got this guy that has stood beside me in life. The Puritans talked about bird friends. Bird friends, the friends that left during the winter. Spring, I'm here for you. Summer, I'm here for you. Fall, mm, I don't know, it's getting a little cool. Winter, I'm gone. I'll see you when things get better. Aristarchus is, is there. He, he's that, that friend that stays in the winter, that stays with him, stands by his side. Or is, is that you? Are you faithful? Are you one who stands beside him? We have Mark, who's also called John Mark. This is Barnabas' cousin. 
And Paul says, if he comes to you, I want you to welcome him. So I just wrote down the word new this week in my notes. So Mark's going to be the new guy. And you may know the story about Mark or John Mark, the Bible calls him. Paul and Mark already had a falling out. They're on mission together and they did not, their, their personalities did not, did not blend together very well. And so Mark was out of there. And, and, and Paul here is showing grace and forgiveness to a guy who left him to a mission partner who left him. He says, I want you to know that if Mark comes there, he's going to be coming as a new guy, and I want you to welcome him. And he must have been loved when he got there because Mark has the wonderful privilege that only four people in the whole history of humanity have had. He wrote one of the Gospels, the Gospel of Mark. Verse 11, Justice. Again, real name Jesus goes by Justice now. One of the Jews He's among my fellow workers, Paul says, for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. I just wrote down that phrase, a comforting presence. What what about you? You know, the church has to be filled with new people all the time. And if you're new here today, I pray that you're welcome. Church family, if you're not new here today, our responsibility is to welcome those who are new. Our responsibility also is to be a comforting presence to those around us within the family of faith. Verse 12 and verse 13 speaks of Epaphras who seems to be, most people believe, I do also. He was the pastor of this church. Here's how Paul identifies him. He is one who is of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you. He is always praying for you. He is struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you, church, at Colossae, may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. This is a guy who's always praying the people in his church, I wrote down in my notes for you, a prayer warrior. Every church needs prayer warriors. Do you know right now there's a a prayer team praying for you? Meeting underneath the stairwell is where they meet on on Sunday mornings. A group of people who who aren't enjoying the the, the, the comfortable chairs and enjoying being together, they're praying right now underneath the stairwell that God's spirit would move mightily in our hearts today. I praise God for the many, many prayer warriors within this church. That's, that's who Epaphras was. How about verse 14? Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. There's no indication anywhere in the Bible that Luke is a, is a pastor or that Luke is an apostle. He's not called a pastor, not called an apostle. He's a medical doctor. What is a medical doctor doing in the New Testament? Well, a couple of things. One, he's traveling companions with Paul. So when Paul gets beat up, Luke shows up with the first aid kit. He's there to help him. I wrote down, he's the helper and the healer. That's what he does. And in the life of Paul, in the life of Luke, excuse me, we see him ministering with Paul. Paul really needed him. I think kind of a second reason that we see Luke often in the New Testament. Do you know that by volume, Luke wrote more of the New Testament than any other person? Paul wrote more books. Luke wrote more words. 27.5% of the New Testament is written by Dr. Luke. The book of Luke and the book of Acts. The gospel of Luke, the the book of Acts. When you combine those together, almost 28% of the New Testament is written by by Luke. You know the very last days of Paul? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. My day of departure has come. In other words, I'm about to die. You know what he said in 2 Timothy 4, 11? Luke alone is with me. Everybody else has left. Luke, the helper, the healer, is still there. For all of you who have a job who will wake up tomorrow morning and clock in at 8 o'clock, and, and you have a vocation tomorrow that you're working on, I want you to know God wants you to be like Luke. 
to do a great job in the vocation that you have, but also to use your wealth of knowledge, your experience, your vocation itself to love and serve Jesus and his church. Every church needs helpers and needs healers, those who are part of healing the body together. Verse 14, Demas. Demas today really serves as an opportunity for us to look into our own hearts, to search our own hearts, because it's really how the Christian faith is finished for you. The Christian faith is really how you finish. Onesimus didn't start off so great. He finished great. Demas, you may not know this about him. He started off great, but finished poorly. Because right before that verse I just mentioned that Luke alone is with me in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Paul says, Demas, having loved this present world more, has left me. So Demas chooses the world over Christ. Demas makes this tragic air here. He takes his heart from the kingdom and puts his heart in the culture of the world and begins to love sin more than he loved Jesus. Nympha. Hospitality is what I wrote down. She's a woman who opened up her home and the next thing, there's a church there. People are in it and people are coming probably for prayer and for Bible study to support one another. Uh, this incredible lady, Nympha, just, she, she opened up everything. Now you probably know this. Later she she moved to Waco and opened a Mexican food restaurant over on Franklin. But she is a wonderful lady we see here in the New Testament. Paul says in verse 17, Archippus, get it done. Archippus was, here's what I wrote in your notes, he was a minister. And I don't necessarily mean like a paid minister, an occupational minister, or vocational minister. He had a heart of ministry. And so here, Paul says, this is God's way of saying, I love you, now go do it. Every Christian in this room right now, you're a minister. The Holy Spirit has given you at least one spiritual gift, probably two or three spiritual gifts. There's a calling on your life to minister to other people within this church family. Find your position, and here's what we see here. Fulfill your ministry. And then Paul ends with this, verse 18. I, Paul, I write these greetings to you specifically with my own hand. He's in prison, he's in chains, and he's ministering and loving, and don't miss this, he's honoring people. You know what that means? No matter your circumstance, you can always love people. No matter your circumstance, you can always honor people. You can always care for others. You can always minister to others. Then he says, remember my chains. Would you please pray for me as I'm in prison? Grace be with you. And that's what Paul ends with, grace to you. Paul is in a situation bigger than him, but it is not bigger than God's grace. And I don't know what you're going through today or what you're dealing with today, what decisions you have to make today, what chapter you're on, but here's Paul, he's in prison. You can write this down. Whatever situation you're in, it is bigger than you and you're gonna need God's grace. It doesn't matter what situation you're in right now, whether it be a situation in your marriage that's falling apart, a son or a daughter that's a prodigal, finances that aren't looking so good, fear about the upcoming semester, wherever you are right now, it is bigger than you, but it's not bigger than the grace of God. You're going to need God's grace. And so God's grace is there for Paul. God's grace is there for you. God's grace is there for me. Here's what I'll say about God's grace, and I'll be done. Grace is always sure. It's always strengthening. And it's always sufficient. 
When I say it's sure, I mean that God's grace is always present. It's, it's always solid. It's always certain. When I say this always strengthening, I mean it will always build you up. It will always prepare you for what is next. And it's always sufficient to say, really, the title of this sermon series, God's grace is always enough. I did this last week. If you don't mind, I'd like to take just a few moments for a little fireside chat, since it is going to be 102 degrees today. I figured a fireside chat would be a nice thing. Not because you didn't listen well last week. I know you listened unbelievably well last week. I could see it in you, but I just want to make sure we're on the same page. Um, next week, there's going to be a lot of people here. And that may be the understatement of 2022. A lot of new people, a lot of families returning, a lot of college students coming back into town. And I just want to prepare our, our hearts for this. There is a movement happening in our nation today where the younger generation is leaving church. I mean, watch the stats. The younger generation is leaving the faith. And next Sunday, you're going to see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of the new generation, the next generation, pack into this church. One, that should bring an unbelievable gratitude to the hearts of this church. I'm going to prove it to you right now. If you're 25 years or younger, would you just lift your hand up for me real quick? You're 25 years or, or, or younger. Look, look around the room. That's, that's an amazing, yeah. Not that if you're 26, you're old. You just didn't make the 25 and under cut just, just then. But in a nation right now where the, the next generation is getting away from the church and moving away from faith, we're going to see with our own eyes next week the next generation want to be a part of what God is doing. They want to hear the gospel. I, I think my belief is the next generation, they want to hear something that's true. They've been lied to so much and by so many. Just tell me what God says. I think that's what the next generation basically wants, is tell me what God is saying to me. And so we have the opportunity next week and even the weeks ahead to, to embrace and to welcome, just as Paul asked the church to do in Colossae toward Mark, I am asking the church at Highland to do the same thing toward families and guests and college students and incoming freshmen next week. What that's going to mean, let's just be very blunt about it, they're going to come and take your seat next week. <laughs> And they're going to come and take your parking place next week. And so we need to be prepared on two levels. One, a logistic level to be prepared. Uh, we're not going to have our normal place, but I think probably more important than that, because we can plan all we want to logistically, the real preparation is our hearts. Am I willing to give up that parking place? Am I willing to go to a different time of gathering? Am I willing to, to give up my, my chair? Am I willing to sit in the lobby? Am I willing to stand against the back wall? Am I willing to go to, to a gathering and sit with some people that I don't, I don't know? If this could be the heart of Highland, God, we will do whatever it takes. We will do whatever it takes for people to hear the good news of Christ. And so my commitment to you is I will not back off at all from the word of God. I will not grow shy about the gospel at all. But what I'm asking from all of us is, is to be ready for a really crazy, fun fall semester. Do you know the, the, the highest attendance in our kids' ministry in the last 10 years? If you've been around church, this is going to blow your mind. The highest attendance of children's ministry at Highland in the last 10 years was in June of this summer. Wow. I say that to say June is when people leave. 
right? That's when families are gone. That's when kids are out of school. Our highest attendance in 10 years on a Sunday morning for, for kids ministry was in June of this summer. So we need to be ready. Not just, I mean, college freshmen, awesome. College students, incredible. But families, families with kids and families with students, we need to be prepared for that. And so here's, here's the way that I think we need to prepare. You see on the screen, we'll start three gatherings next week. We have one at 840. We have one at 1120. I think there might be two numbers in between there as, as well. It's the, the name, which the gathering time, which should not be mentioned, the, the, the unmentionable time. If, and, and this may be, if this is too big of an if, then please stay here at the 10 o'clock. But if you're able to go to the 1120, and really I'm asking for the first eight weeks as people kind of settle in, decide what church they'll be a part of, Highland, Highland, Antioch, and Harris Creek. Those, those are the three churches that college students will hit at the very beginning. They'll be here in mass. Um, after the eight week or so, a lot of college students determine I'm not going to be a part of a church. My parents made me go. I'm not going to go. Or they'll find a church they're going to belong to. So those first eight weeks especially, I think, are unbelievably important for us. And so I'm asking if you could move out of the 10 o'clock to 1120 would be a preferable time or the 840 and leave as much space as we can here at 10 o'clock. Now, I know feeding times for kids and a work time for some of you, some of your ABF schedule because you go to an ABF at 8.40 that feeds into 10. If you can't get out of 10, stay in 10. If you can get out of 10, please get out of this place and go to 11.20 or go to, to 8.40. The other thing we're asking, and I'm not sure how else to say this, but I'll just be as blunt and as bold as I can with, with the members here. So if you're a guest here today, you can forget everything I've said. If you're just kind of a, an attender who shows up every now and then, you can forget all of this. But if you're a covenant member, here at Highland, a core member, part of the core, then let me leverage that covenant for, for a few moments. Could I ask you to not park in a parking place? Okay, preacher, where do we park then? On the street? Blocks away if you can. You know, put, put on your, your step counter and see how long it actually takes you to you get your exercise, maybe for the whole week on a Sunday morning, walking in. Or you can park at Dean Highland Elementary. Uh, that school has not only opened all of its ungated parking, they have given us the key to their gated parking on Sunday morning, allowing us to open up that gate and to, and to park there all on Dean Highland. So that's about two blocks or so behind me. We'll have golf carts that will run, I think it says from 8.15 until one o'clock, getting you back and forth. And so if you can park off-site, that would be an amazing help to us. Now, if, if walking-wise or strength-wise, um, age-wise, you're not able to park blocks away and walk in or, or get from the parking lot over here, please park in a spot. But if you have the ability to not park in a parking spot, we're asking for you to consider, and uh, even lovingly asking you to consider that, at least for eight weeks. Let's see what God wants to do. On the ninth week, I may come back up and say, we've had more people than ever before. Uh, would you please park at the old Hillcrest Hospital and walk down here, you know, six blocks, whatever it takes. I, I, again, I, I hope we can get to the point. I think we are, Highland, I think we're there. But we would say, God, whatever it takes, just don't pass us by. Whatever it takes. If you're going to use a church in Waco to share the gospel, to love people, to share God's word unapologetically, proclaim it, don't pass by Highland, God. Would, would you use us for a time like this? Last thing I say, I'm not sure how this is going to land, but y'all probably been accustomed to that little phrase for about nine years now. Moms and dads, I think it's really important that your kids worship with you. About 25 years ago, the, there was a church movement that I think was a huge mistake. They called it Children's Church. And it was, all right, kids, you go worship over there in your own context while the adults worship here. 
and we'll just kind of find you after, after church. We'll come pick you up. I'll tell you why I think that's been a failure. We have a generation now of kids who don't know how to worship with five generations. I think personally that's one of the big reasons that, that when a student turns 17, 18, 19, they leave the church because all they've known is kids' church or youth church. And they never worshiped with a grandmother or a crying baby. And if your babies cry, let me just tell you, we love crying babies here. I'd much rather babies cry than babies be silent in a place like this or have no babies at all. Making, I'd rather that kid throw a pencil at me while I'm preaching than not be in here at, at all. And so let me just say that lovingly to moms and dads. That, that's my encouragement to you. It's not my command to you. It's just an encouragement to you. Consider worshiping with, with your kids. And we will be super patient with them. We will be helpful with you. Um, grandmas here, here, moms here, here. Pack some more snacks in your purse. You can kind of hand that out to crying kids, you know, around you. Let's just do whatever it takes. I'd encourage moms and dads to have your kids with you in worship. We have some really fun days ahead. And really the, the, the biblical charge we have is that we would be people of joy. Joy is so attractional. I'm not talking about like temporary happiness. I'm talking about the joy of Christ in you. So that next week when students show up and families show up and people return from vacation and there you are with joy, we're going to continue to see people come and hear of the joy-giving gospel. Would you stand with me, please, as we continue to consider this thought of joy being in our hearts and joy being in this place. We're going to sing a song about who we are in Christ and the joy that that brings. And I pray that even as we sing this song, that your heart would begin to be prepped for next Sunday when we have the joy of welcoming people into this place, the joy of letting other people know that Christ lives in us, that Christ is esteemed, he's honored, he's treasured in this church family. Let's sing of the joy of the Lord in this house together.